Welcome to the HR Like a Boss podcast. I'm your host, John Bernadovich. Thank you so much for listening. Please consider liking, commenting, subscribing, and sharing with a friend. I've embarked on a journey to get to know amazingly awesome HR and business professionals with the hope to find out what it takes to do HR like a boss. On today's show, I am so excited to have Aaron Demos. Aaron was introduced to me by a mutual friend, and I cannot wait to have her uh, share all of her insights with our wonderful guests and all of our listeners on the HR Like a Boss podcast. So Aaron, welcome to the show. Thanks. Happy to be here. Yeah, awesome. I know a lot of people have some wonderful things to say about you, but many of my listeners probably do not know you. So if you wouldn't mind taking just a, a minute or two, sharing a little bit about your background, what you're up to these days, and then we'll get into our formal podcast questions. Sure. Um, so I've been in HR, generally speaking, for around 20 years, I guess, at this point. I um, started as a receptionist and just started picking up some little admin type duties through over the time. And that company I was with for 14 years and ended as their HR generalist. Um, and then I came to work for my current company, which is Rational Cooking Systems, Inc. Uh, we're a manufacturer of high-end commercial cooking equipment, um, very specific types, uh, combi steamers. And I've been here for six years. Um, and I'm currently the vice president of people at Rationale for Rational North America, which is a giant mouthful of words. Um, and mostly I'm overseeing day-to-day um, -day HR business for the US group, which has about 120 employees. And then I have a dotted line responsibilities for some HR topics for Rational Canada and Rational Mexico. So that's where that whole group comes in. And I have one, one HR partner here with me in the US, but we pretty much run the show. Really cool. Do you get to cook food at work? Is that a, oh, a byproduct yeah. of, oh, cool. Tell me about that. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a huge perk. So we have a lot of food cooked for us, which is even better because it's prepared by professional chefs, which is great. But probably some of my favorite days at Rationale were when I got to go into the kitchen. They call it application training where we're really using the equipment ourselves so we can speak to it and understand how amazing it is. And uh, yeah, it was super fun to go in. And I mean, I like to cook anyway, so it's good times, but it's a giant perk of working for Rationale is the fact that there is food um, for you. Not every single day, but maybe once a week, you know, it's stop by, pick up some stuff from the Rational Bistro and yeah, it's really fun. It's great. Neat. Yeah. It reminds me of the time I went to a presentation at Vitamix, which is in Northeast mm. Ohio. And Vitamix makes the really fancy high-end blenders mm. and they had this big studio and a, a large kitchen. And we got to have a really awesome smoothie made right there by one of the hosts of their, their commercials they were making. That was really, really cool. And they said, yeah. this is, this is normal fare at Vitamix. So I, I, I figured when you shared that you get the benefit of working for a company that's making some high-end cooking equipment. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a really nice, it is definitely a benefit. It's pretty fun. That's cool. Well, hey, one of the things you said that stands out to me, and, and, and I know we start out the podcast with the same question, it's important for me to have that true north and understand the aspirations and inspiration of, of human resources. But I think what you mentioned about what you did early on in your career at your current employer is getting to know and learn the business, understanding the dynamics of the products that you're selling, the things that you do. And I've, I'm recently putting together a presentation. That's one of the key points that I mentioned. It's so important as a human resource professional to look at the business first as a business. What is it that we sell? Who are our customers? How do we make money? How do we lose money? 
and taking that into account and consideration. And no better way, my guess is maybe before you started at your, at your current job, you maybe hadn't worked with that type of high-end kitchen equipment before. So in order for you to deliver great HR, you got to know what the heck it is your business does. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's really important. I, you know, if one of the purposes of HR is to support a company's mission and its values and its strategy, I think you really need to understand it. And I am um, grateful to be able to do that uh, in my current role. I, I mean, maybe I have a slight edge in that it's something really fascinating and it, you know, food and chefs are very passionate people and that kind of a passionate thing, you know, like food and eating, we all have to do that, right? But um, still, I have, I guess, been the beneficiary of a couple of very nice compliments from outside people who have said, oh, I would have thought you were in sales. You seem to really know a lot about your business and you're so enthusiastic about it. If HR doesn't understand the business and isn't enthusiastic about it, who else is going to be, right? I mean, I think if anyone, we need to have that enthusiasm. Like, how do you recruit people? How do you keep people if you yourself are not even, you know, excited about what the company does and what it can do, whether it's for the customer or whether it's for your employees? So I think that's really an important piece to human resources for sure. Yeah, no, that's that's awesome. I think as we as we talk through that kind of traditional first question of the HR Like a Boss podcast is the purpose of human resources and getting your perspective. You mentioned it's beyond just purpose, mission, and values. It's enthusiasm for the business. Is there anything else as it relates to the cornerstone aspects in your mind of what HR's true north is, what you're, what, why you're doing what you're doing in human resources? Yeah, I, I, it's hard for me to say there's a one true north because I do think it's HR is, is a broad topic and I hate to deflect the question. Maybe that seems like what I'm doing, but if one piece is to support the mission value strategy, right? And then I think one is to be the bridge between the company and people. And as that bridge to remind one about the other, right? You're always reminding the company. When I say that, I usually mean say other senior leaders, for instance, right? Or people who are designing policy or setting up the next sales strategy about what, the, how does that affect the people that are involved? And then when you're talking to people who might come to you and say, hey, I'm burnt out or I don't understand this or I'm upset about this policy to remind them, hey, we're still part of this bigger organization. Right, and rationale is amazing. It has this uh, concept of, of the entrepreneur within the business. And we want people to really own their work. And that's at every level, right? From our warehouse people up to our president. But still within that, you have to know that it's, you're part of this bigger organization. And so everything you do affects somebody else. And so I do think that reminding again, both parties about the other is another really critical function of human resources. And then it's that caretaker of the culture. You know, so again, if we have a company mission and a company strategy, I clearly the leader of an organization also is really critical to company culture. But for me, I also think that that is a really important HR role, because again, if I'm not doing it, who else is doing it? You know, who else is saying, hey, we're growing really fast. How do we keep the culture that we had? And, and it doesn't, it's not that it can't evolve or change, but we should have a culture. I should be able to say, this is what rationale is about, um, whatever that might be. Um, and then that really comes into that final piece for me, which is that the employee value proposition. And again, that's kind of HR terms to throw out there, right? But like, why do people want to come here? And why do they want to stay here? And, and to me, so I put those pieces together, right? We have the value at the top kind of company structure and you have 
getting the employees there. And then all those pieces are in the middle to make those mesh together. And that is how you have an amazing organization because you can't have one without the other. Um, and I love the challenge of HR and that it is, how do you do all of those things? And it's sometimes impossible, but you try, you try to do all of those things, right? You say, okay, I need to watch the legal and compliance pieces because if the company doesn't exist, we don't, we can't pay our people. And how do I address the people and remind them that if the company doesn't exist, I can't pay them, right? So it's kind of this, this circle that it's really interdependent on everybody and every piece of the business needs a person. We wouldn't have jobs if you weren't needed, but then to remind the company that we're going to be a company if you don't have people. And it's the chicken and the egg, the HR question, which is more important. I think depending on the topic, maybe it switches, right? Um, but I think that might be maybe the North Star, as you say, is how do you meld that why do I work here with how do we drive the company forward all at the same time? Yeah, no, that's cool. You talked about remind one about the other. I know oftentimes that I have conversations with my team about pay or compensation or mm -hmm. other dynamics of spending money. We have to be mindful that without the business, we don't have a chance to spend that kind of money. And it is definitely a balancing act. There's no, no doubt about that. And I'm curious with the work you're doing at Rationale, is there a particular trend right now that you're seeing that's really impacting your business, something that stands out to you that maybe others that are listening or experiencing the same thing and how you're attacking that? Yeah, I, I hate to just jump on the bandwagon and be kind of boring, but I, I can't avoid it. it. Recruiting is really a challenge right now um, and retention um, and just that kind of rolled up topic, right? Which comes back to that employee value proposition piece again. Why are people leaving? Um, and how do we get them to come back on board? How do we reach out there? And, and it's the world has changed because of COVID, right? So all this stuff is kind of interrelated. Is it about hybrid? Is it about work from home? Is it about flexibility? Is it about wanting to feel valued or needing to have a mission-driven organization? Which I'm seeing more and more of people asking for in their interviews and on their resumes, which I love actually, right? Um, I've been hearing about this trend in the newest generation of workers and how they really want a mission. And I hadn't seen it until maybe in the last year. And now I'm really starting to see that on a lot of resumes. And so that comes back to then again, um, the recruiting challenge. So how do we create our company so that it is positioned to be attractive to these people, um, whoever that might be that's looking for work in whatever this new environment is. And those are, those are big topics, right? So recruiting is a challenge, but it's a challenge because we have to address these other topics in the background that really speak to how do we move the company into the future, right? What's a modern workplace supposed to look like? Yeah, and I think really true innovation and change comes out of need. Yeah. And I'm really excited, really excited. As hard as it is and as difficult People like you are challenged by that inside of human resources. I know at our firm, we, we've never had more need for our support. We're getting you know, multiple, multiple job orders or opportunities within our consulting practice at the same clients where normally we'd get one or two. It wasn't, wasn't a normal thing back in the day. They're just so overwhelmed. But, but I believe that as a result of everybody putting their time, energy, and effort to, when I say everybody, I mean not just human resources, not mm -hmm. an, an HR executive. The rest of your leadership team, the other team members within your organization, we're going to innovate some new ideas. We're going to come up with a way by which recruiting is done and retention is done. I'm hoping differently, which will drive better results for employers and employees down the road. That example you gave of a purpose-driven company, a mission-first 
organization. What are you doing to do good in the community is a major, major draw to me and something that needs to change today. It should have changed years ago, but it needs to change today. Being really intentional with that. It's really cool. Now I'm curious, kind of flip, flip subjects here for a bit. One of the things that I've found in order to have a great organization is you have to have healthy and constructive debate. You have to have the ability to have a disagreement with someone so that you can innovate and do things differently and better. And I'm curious if you have a tip on how you as a seasoned HR professional can give and receive constructive feedback. Yeah. I mean, I have been a part of so many meetings, you know, that are about feedback being given to people. And it usually gets to me when it's at the difficult stage, right? But there's nothing that you can do more than just prepare for it. And I really think that's true. And there's so many tools out there that are like, okay, how to have a constructive conversation, right? And if you really follow those steps and you take the time to say, what's the purpose of this meeting? Thank you for coming in. These are the things I would like to talk to you. Here is my perspective. How do you feel about it, right? And you have those kinds of conversations if they're really difficult having that structure is so important and critical. And then on the, also, even as the feedback giver, but especially as the person receiving that constructive criticism, whatever it might be, to, to stay humble, it's so hard to not get defensive. And so kind of those pieces together, right? And if you as the feedback giver are able to allow that person time to prepare, so they can also say, okay, someone's going to be coming at me, right? And they, they at least have a few pieces they put together. I think it lets everybody be in a little bit of a better spot when you come into a meeting like that. Little bits of feedback that you just grabbed from someone in the hall. I think, again, just stay curious, stay humble is going to always work. But for a formal conversation, nothing better than you can do for preparing. Um, I try to coach my management staff here when we do our appraisals every year on that. Like, look, the preparation you put in is what you're going to get out of it right? It should be a long conversation. It should be kind of hard. You should have your employee also be prepared. They need to have some skin in the game when it comes to this appraisal, right? If you want them to grow and we want this to be useful, we both need to be prepared for that. So, um, and that's hard when you have somebody who has a team of 14 or something like that, right? That's almost literally a half a week of just meetings, let alone the prep time on top of that. But that's why you get paid the big bucks as a manager. <laughs> And it's really, really important. Yeah, really yeah. important. I, I found the most productive meetings I've had with either constructive feedback or just preparing for a normal meeting is what we use the word pre-wired. Is everyone mm. pre-wired to be prepared for our meeting? Do they yep. know yep. what questions are going to be asked? And are, are, do you give them a little bit of the clue of what's coming? Right. Because then it takes them off that defensive, I think. Mm -hmm. And it also allows when a topic comes up that we can talk about it openly because exactly. they don't have to worry about every single thing. I don't know what we're going to discuss. So that mm -hmm. pre-wiring, pre that giving them the, the cliff notes version of what's coming, uh, it's kind of like getting the test in college before you actually got the test to take the test. Probably we're a little bit more prepared. Uh, I don't know. I never did that. But uh, anyway. Well, let's just be more efficient too. Like who wants to meet twice on the same topic? So if you can say to someone, we're going to talk about this. Can you come with a couple points and be prepared? Then you don't have to say, here is my feedback. Now go think about it and let's talk about it again on Thursday. You know, I mean, you might as well just have the conversation once and move it forward rather than needing to rehash the same topic over and over again. So um, anyway, that's my best tip. Um, I don't know that I'm always as prepared as I would like to be for constructive conversations, but that's, I think that's really the best way. Yeah, no, I'm with you. 
Well, I'm going to take a quick moment to thank our sponsor who is near and dear to my heart. Willery has supported the formation and continues to provide resources needed to put on this podcast. Willery's purpose is to empower people and is focused on supporting mid-sized companies with their search and staffing needs, along with a unique client-side human capital management technology consulting practice. If you're struggling to find talent in your HR and payroll team, or you're simply struggling to get a return on your investment with your HR tech, please visit willery.com to learn more. All right, Aaron, I got that shameless plug out of the way. Getting paid the big bucks on this podcast by our sponsor. It, it, it leads me to my next question, which is this idea of loving what you do and building relationships at work. And I know the term love used in the workplace is usually a no-no, but I, I'm going to do it and we're going to do it over and over again. Because if you truly want to be successful in, in work, you have to love what you do and love who you, what you represent. As you mentioned earlier, uh, that HR, HR terminology of attracting and retaining is almost a sales-like thing where you have yeah. to be selling the company. I'm curious how HR can model the behavior of loving what they do and the people that they serve? So when I was thinking about this point, um, it, it, what really came to mind for me was the idea of positive attitude, but also believing in positive intent from people. Um, and this is kind of a personal and core value of mine, but I thought that, you know, even on hard days, you have to remember that most people, most of the time actually want to do a good job right? And if they've made some decision or something has happened that maybe I don't understand why it was made, um, how do you, you have to hold on to that kind of positive intent and say, okay, no one went into this trying to do this poorly or trying to make that person upset or trying to do a bad job. So what am I not understanding? Again, it's kind of a curious question that goes back to even the constructive criticism, right? What am I not understanding? about their approach or why they felt like they needed to take it that way, right? And then that I think is sort of how you show you love people in your job. And then once you have that same spin going on, whether it's you wanting to build one-on-one -on -one relationships with people or you trying to facilitate relationships with other people, either way, I still feel like that concept of positive intent, like let's all understand or try to understand that everyone is coming to the table wanting to do the best job they can most of the time, right? That's, that's been my general. There's always going to be an exception, of course. And when you do that, it's about how can we all look good together? It's not about how you do your job and how I do my job and like me trying to be better than you or make myself look good. But if you can understand that everyone's trying to do a great job, I think that's how you, that is how you build a relationship, right? Because I'm going to go in believing that this is how we move the organization forward. And it's not about being gullible you know, and just like hunky dory that no, no one is ever going to do anything bad. But that is how you love what you do. I know the value I bring because I go into it with a positive intent because I know I'm trying my best and I know that person is trying their best and they're trying their best. Um, and that, that becomes evident to everyone at the same time. And so now you have, you love what you do because you're approaching it positively. Other people love what they do, right? And they know that you care about what they do. And it just all comes from that, just that little spirit of positivity, whether it's trusting in them or me just bringing that attitude every day. And I, I just think that is so critical um, to relationships in general. 
Yeah. It's interesting to me as you were sharing that it, I feel like the masses are attracted to the extreme on one end or the other, meaning like you have a billionaire who donates their entire billion dollar estate to a great charitable organization. And you as a regular person that's making X thousands of dollars a year, you couldn't even fathom making that type of impact, but you, you can, you can do really great things. And on the other extreme, you got really bad examples of things we see on the news all the time that people kind of get tainted by over time. And we come to find that we're attracted to that extremism when it's mm -hmm. really not reality and it's not the, the common person. It's just right. they're, they're on one extreme or the other. And I think if you live your life feeling like everybody's bad or everyone's going to do this thing wrong, as opposed to going into it that positive intent, that it, it really will, I could see why you would get jaded. I could see why people get turned off by the HR profession because they yeah. assume everything is doing something bad or in HR, every HR person, all they want to do is, is fire you. And they're in okay. a meeting to do that. And I think, I think that's a really great way to look at it, Aaron. I commend you for that. Well, and it's easy to get burned too, right? I mean, I think you only have to have one lawsuit filed against you or realize that there's one claim that someone's filing against you or whatever until you're like, okay, we have to be all rules. We're just going to follow the rules. That's it from now on. That's all we're going to do because it's painful. And especially if you're personally legally liable for something, which the higher up you get in organizations, the more and more you are, that's really scary actually to think about. Right. And I think that's what makes people kind of contract and forget that HR is about people that I've joked for years that I don't even like people and I'm in HR, right? But it, it's, it's not true. It is really about how do you, how do you make this a great place for everyone to be? How do they make sure that everyone understands the strategy and that they're all important and that how they connect to the work. And that's the piece that I think is just so empowering and powerful and fascinating. And that's what drives me um, is remembering that there are actual real people out there doing that job every day. A very savvy business owner and friend of mine shared with me once as I was starting to think about starting another company, and I mentioned to him some of the risks associated with that. He said, John, if every single entrepreneur was paralyzed by the risk that was going to happen as a result of starting their business, most of them wouldn't have done it. And in, in most cases, you're going to assume the worst in that case, and in most, in, in most instances, it's not going to come true. The example you gave is the potential of a lawsuit. My sense is, Aaron, throughout the course of your 20-year career, and I'm not assuming that you have gotten a lawsuit before, but let's just say for fictitious reasons you had, one time you did over interactions of thousands of people, right? Mm -hmm. Thousands of time. And that's, my, that's back to my earlier point of people really tend to gravitate to the extreme. That one, that is an extreme example. Yep. It's, it's not the, it's not the, the commonality. It's not the standard. It's just an anomaly. And we cannot, we cannot, in my opinion, be so focused on the anomaly that you lose sight of what, what the good standard thing is to do for, for, for your employees. And, and it leads me into this idea of, you know, the, the compliance police, you know, the principal's office is oftentimes what I've heard HR described as. And I, I wonder how important it is for HR to balance that, that compliance aspect of what you're doing while being flexible to the business climate changes that are happening. Well, for the last two years, it seems like every single day, if not every single hour. What, what, what is your thought on that? 
I think it is so critical. I mean, I can't go change the law today, right? But as far as internal policies and internal procedures go, and by the way, I'm a big proponent of democracy, go try to change the law if you wanna change the law, but, but for that everyday kind of pieces, right? If you're finding that there is a policy or procedure that doesn't work for you, be open to changing it, right? Have those conversations and don't go rogue and just do it on your own, right? But work with that organization and say, you know what, this doesn't really make any sense. Why do we have this policy? Why do we have this piece of an agreement? Why do we do things this way? Or, hey, we don't have enough structure. I'm finding that as we grow or as the business environment changes or whatever it might be that we really need to do something differently. I just think it's so important to, to be able to question the status quo, question the rules, ask the right questions, and then be willing to, to, to work on that. I think the flip side is, of course, you need to be open to people coming to you and saying, hey, I don't like your policies. I think you need to change them, <laughs> right? I mean, it's kind of the same. It goes both ways, but that's another HR task, right? We're the ones that are a lot of times writing the handbook and writing the policies and having to also be the police and to roll them out. Like no one wants that role in a meeting. So guess who gets to like tell everyone that our dress code is changing? HR. Guess who does sexual harassment training? HR, right? Guess who gets to tell people that we're taking away something? HR. I mean, like that's our job. So at the same time, then I think you get to push back and say, none of this is working. Like here are all the complaints from people. We need to change this. You know, and I think most organizations have gone through some of that. Sometimes you're going to run into leaders who just have their pet projects that they like. And so you're not going to be able to change them for a while, but then maybe they leave, right? And then you're finally able to move forward on that. So some things are a kind of a long-term vision. Some things are short, but I, you have got to stay adaptable, especially today. I mean, when on a dime, states are changing policies and rules and you have to be compliant and keep people safe and you know, the overall rule is have a safe workplace. Okay. What does that mean? Like, I mean, that definition has changed three times in the last two years, you know, it's super crazy. So, yeah. Yeah. I think it's interesting that business leaders, executives, business people were, were incented to uh, guess the market, hear what the market says, predict what a stock's going to do or how a price price increase would change things or what your cost of goods sold are, or looking at inflation. We're always trying to analyze what ha is happening in the market. I wonder if executives or those that maybe don't feel that same way about human resources or employees could look at an employee population as a market in and of itself. And that market is saying things to you about a policy or a procedure or the way that you're handling this particular situation. And just listening to what that market is saying and suggesting that what we're doing right now isn't working, people are quitting or they're disgruntled or not engaged or whatever the case is, yeah. as opposed to, oh, they're just employees. I, I don't, I don't, yeah, it's, it's just, it's just the way it is. I mean, I, I think that's, pardon my French, total BS. Employees have a voice. You got to give them a power to share that voice, to innovate, to, to question the status quo. And by them doing that to you, you can do the same to them. Hey, I just don't feel like at this time we're getting the productivity that we wanted and we set these expectations. You know, it's got to go both ways. It can't be one directional. And I think that's a really keen way of looking at it, Aaron. And, and uh, I certainly think that you are in the status of someone doing HR like a boss. So I'll get you out of here on my last question for all my guests. The podcast is called HR like a boss. The pending book, which hopefully will be published sometime this year or beginning of next, is called HR Like a Boss. Tell me what you think 
is the definition of someone that does HR like a boss? Um, so when I first heard that phrase, I mean, the, the thought that comes to mind is just the sense of ownership, right? So whatever your role is in HR, and maybe it's just payroll, maybe it's recruiting, whatever, but you really own it, right? You are willing to step in, to be engaged, to make changes, to ask questions, and to take responsibility for those pieces of it. And that's a really core value for me personally, right? Is that sense of responsibility. Um, but then the other piece of it is, like you said, it's almost like being a business owner. It's it's to have confidence. I mean, there's that phrase that I hate, you know, the girl boss from five years ago or whatever. And, and what does it mean to do something like a boss? I think it's, you like walk in, you know, like head held high, big, like own a room, right? It's sort of that, that and that's what charisma is, but it's what, that's what I mean in your job too. Like have that sense of ownership and have the sense of confidence. And it's totally true. If you don't even feel it, you can fake it, right? Pretend that you do. And people are going to treat you like you do. If you act like you know what you're talking about, they'll believe you. And eventually you learn what you're talking about. So um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, that's what I think that really meant when I kind of said that it's own it and be, co be confident in your own ownership of, of whatever, whatever your space is that you need to be in. Well, I'm going to say you nailed it because, and it almost is like you read that section of the book. I have two main pillars of what does it take to do HR like a boss. And one is to own it. And the other is to love it. You have to have passion mm. for it. And then with that passion comes that confidence that you're talking about. Yeah. Aaron, great job. This is awesome. I'm going to do a quick recap for our listeners. A couple of th key things that stood out to me. You mentioned, obviously, the table stakes for human resources and the purpose is to drive that purpose, that mission, that, that vision, that values. But it's also to be enthusiastic, enthusiastic for the business and the people, kind of being that bridge between both. And also taking the time to remind one about the other. I thought that was really profound. And I'll continue to use that if you don't mind. Looking at the caretaker of your culture, human resource has a lot of responsibility in that. You also mentioned this idea of believing in positive intent. We got onto a little bit of a soapbox about that particular thing, that there's a lot of good in a lot of people. And let's focus in on that. And always to question the policies and the status quo. It's the only way that you make things better. It's the only way that you, you innovate things. And then lastly, you talked about the sense of ownership in doing HR like a boss and having confidence when you walk into that room. And I cannot tell you enough, Aaron, how much I enjoyed having you on today's podcast. And I wish you nothing but the best and continued success. Thank you so much. It was fun. I was happy to be here. Thank you for checking out the HR like a boss podcast. If it resonates with you, please consider leaving a rating or review and better yet subscribe and share with a friend. Until next time, let's continue to aspire to do amazingly awesome HR.